We're back for another special edition of the Should Have Backed It podcast. Today we'll take a look at the Group 1 racing in Brisbane where we saw Tyzone go one better than last year to take out the Stradbroke handicap. An impressive gelding Rothfire make it six wins from seven outings in the JJ Atkins. Joining me is expert Herald Sun tipster Chris Fenuccio. How's the punting going, mate? Surely you found a couple of winners yesterday. Hello, Phil. Yes, Saturday was pretty good, but not as good as you, I believe. You're seeing them like watermelons. Mate, have you seen the movie Let It Ride? Yeah, it's a, it's a great movie. Yeah, no, I know it's one of your favourites, actually. It's, uh, it, it had that feel to it. It was unbelievable yesterday. Everything uh, I touched was turning to gold, even when I... Um, you know, hadn't even made plans around some of the horses. I ended up backing, and they just kept on winning. So, uh, I must say, just put your money on. Oh, well, not not quite that, mate. But anyway, it was a bit of an aberration. It's been a bit of a tough trot, so it was good to be back on the winners list. But uh, uh, how do you go? I know you had a, a big win in one of the Group Ones there with uh, Rothfire in the JJ. Yeah, that was a big result. I've, when we did our last podcast, I think the week after that, I had a poor one, and I've been managing to get back into some good form the last two weeks and and it's been at Brisbane, you know, some of those races which has uh, been a bit of a surprise. I think my last four bets in Queensland have all been winners and Rothfire was one of them yesterday and, geez, that was a outstanding performance and just even more um, unbelievable was some of the odds you can get for him on the day. There was $4 available and geez, it turned out to be, you know, easy money. Yeah, I guess um, it's, all, it's all easy in hindsight, but I know that you were a big fan. I suspect you would have taken even better than that $4 or shorter than that $4. So you must have been licking your lips when it when it did start. Um, but it did come in in the end. I think it may have started at about $2.50 on the tab. Oh, or, smashed so on the tote. Yeah. Got $2.50, $2.60. Uh, it, it got down to. So, I mean, why would you want to bet on the tote, you know, when you're getting... That type of price when you could have got four dollars. I think four dollars earlier in the morning was the best price it got out to. I was hoping that maybe the SOP might have been even even better, but I think once the the professionals and the big players were ready to bet, I mean that was the one they they targeted. It was I mean it was the best horse in the field, and I couldn't believe some of the maybe the pre much the pre race doubts about you know the barrier, the distance. The barrier wasn't a problem for me because he's just a jump and go forward horse and he just switches off so quickly. It was more the distance, you know, that was going to be the risk and that's always the case. But when when they're the best horse in the field, you just got to take that chance and and he, he handled the 1,400. And, and I think leaders and front runners can be a little bit undervalued stepping up in distance and I think that's what happened with Rothfire. Yeah, well, as you know, I'm not a, a punter when it comes to the two-year-olds generally, but I think at this point in the season, there's enough exposed form to have a pretty good assessment of, of the two-year-olds. You know, that was Rothfire's seventh run, and I guess it had won five of its previous six and, and beaten horses like Isotope, who were also in the market. Yeah. So I can see why you yeah. had a level of confidence going in. And I almost followed you in, but I thought I'd better stick with my punting rules. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, yeah. um, what's the point of making them? But, yeah, no, that was a great win by Rothfire. And, and, look, to be honest, never looked like it was going to get headed at any point. You would have been supremely yeah. confident uh, the whole time, yeah. I would imagine, Big V. Oh. I was cheering at the 200, and and I get your point on the two-year-olds. I mean, I don't like betting on two-year-olds either, but I don't mind having a, a bet on, you know, the Blue Diamond, the Magic Millions, 
Golden Slipper, and in this case, the JJ Atkins, because as you mentioned, there's a lot more exposed form. You're not having horses going into those races most of the time, you know, second up, you know, first up. So you, you get a bit more of an understanding, you know, as whether these horses have that consistency in their performances. And look, I like Rothfire. All the main chances in that race drew wide, which was interesting, with the exception of McCrura. And, I, and I, some tipsters were leaning towards McCrura over Rothfire because of the barriers, which I thought was, you know, insane. Because I, I, I was happy to put a line through McCrura coming off 1,100-metre run into 1,400. I was uh, happy to take that on. And in the next race, the Stradbroke, we saw Tyzone go one better, as I mentioned in the in the opener, and just nab Madame Rouge, which would have been a bit of a boil over on the line there in the Stradbroke. Yeah, that was a top run by Tyzone in the lead-up run. I think that was the run of the race, but, you know, drawing wide, it was going to get back. I mean, as I mentioned, wide barriers for Rothfire, not being a concern, but that's because he's a go-forward horse. With Tyzone, was a little bit different. He was going to get back. Uh, but the way they, they ran that race, it was just a, a really fast speed. Set that up for the for the back markers. I mean, uh, Ty Zone was third last in the run. Vega One was second last in the run, and that's finished fourth, beaten less than the length. And um, yeah, it's just set set it up for the back markers. I was gonna. Uh, I'm glad you touched on Vega One. What did you make of its prep this time around? It's a uh... Managed to finish fourth a few times, including controversially on one occasion, and, and this ta- in this case only Group One. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because for for a good horse like Vega One, it pretty much is uh, got nothing to show. This preparation, its four runs have been fourth, fourth, ninth, and fourth, and I know it's only been beaten less than the length in the Group One, but the the record is going to show he finished fourth. So he didn't even run a place in any of his four runs this campaign, and he probably should have won first up if the jockey had a, not got stuck behind some horses. And I know that he might have got a penalty for the Stradbroke had he won, but, you know, he's carried 52 kilos. What's another kilo or two kilos going to do for it? And, you know, you come away from a prep without a win and not even a place. Not He didn't even run a place all campaign. Oh, that was very diplomatic of you to say I uh, got caught behind a few horses. I believe there was some sanction for the ride on Vega 1 in that particular race. But we might yeah. quickly move on for that and head to our uh, should have backed it and should have sacked it for the weekend. And, look, you sent through you should have backed it, and I just need to make sure I'm reading this right, mate, because it's Jolly Salo in the last at Flemington yesterday, and that has to be a misprint, doesn't it? No, no, that's, that's no misprint at all, and I know that I brought it up in our runs from the bush, I think it was the last podcast, I just, I know the one at Sandown Lakeside, but I just, it was there to be beat at Sandown, showed its toughness and won. I just thought, stepping up to Saturday grade, I wanted to see if he could handle it first before I follow it into other races. The, the step up from Donald, where he got beat you know, $1.50 against you know, a bunch of hacks, to winning at Flemington on a Saturday, it's just been you know, phenomenal. And I just wanted to see him do it first. And, you know, I might have missed out on a good price, but, you know, I think the way he performed and, you know, he not only... he They'll, they'll get trying to get off the fence at Flemington and, and the horses... The horse wanted to go to the rail. The jockey 
tried to get him away from it. He's just he just wanted to find that rail, which was inferior ground, and he still won, you know, very convincingly. Well, as per usual, mate, uh, I've followed you in on Jolly Sailor both at Sandown, where I got about ten dollars, and then again yesterday, where I got six dollars at Flemington. So. Cheers for that. I'm disappointed that you haven't been able to manage to follow yourself in on that because I thought the win at Sandown basically stamped itself as a, as a horse you want to be on, particularly in the conditions. It really fought hard and, and you know, you want to see your horses put their neck out and, and really uh, hit the line strongly and, and want to win. And I think we really saw that was Jolly Sailor at Sandown. So I was happy to, to back up at Flemington yesterday and look after a pretty good day at the punt. I was... Um, I went pretty hard at it too, so it was very, very nice end of the day there. So my should have backed it for the weekend um, was actually at Morfordville in race five, Lombardo. Look, I didn't miss much. I think at SP was $1.60, but you could get $2.20 earlier in the week. And look, it looked like a pretty straightforward win for that horse, and I just missed it in the end and, and didn't get on it. So... Uh, definitely one I'll be looking at and, and keeping an eye on moving forward. I think it's had a pretty good start to its career. Uh, I think that was his, its second win. So, yeah, Lombardo, not just one I should have backed, but probably one I'll be looking to follow uh, moving forward. You can't win everywhere, Phil. You won Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth. Belmont, yeah. <laughs> can't, can't, do it. No, can't do it in Adelaide as well. Yeah, that would have been the full country covered, actually. I didn't think of that. So, uh, anyway, um, you know, uh, not not a big miss, but one I, I probably wouldn't mind of having had a little nibble on. As for our should have sacked it, yours is a horse that's becoming a familiar in your sacked it file, or, or at least when you speak to me, it's Aussie Nugget in race seven at Flemington. Um, do you think you may have overrated this one, or do you just think the, the race shape in the last couple haven't really suited it? I thought I'd give it one last chance on a good track. I thought last start was its chance to win when it drew well and they didn't use the barrier and then the jockey went to the, the inside on a heavy track. I, I, I knew from the barrier I was going to get back, but he did perform a couple of starts back. He was able to run on from back in the field. And I thought maybe on a good track might be uh, the difference. I mean, I did have Sikorsky on top in, in the race, but with that being scratched... My default second was Aussie Nugget. Yeah, it was just very disappointing, and I think I will give that horse a miss from now on. Yeah, I do think the start previous, it was probably just never going to win from that position, but yesterday I think it had a better chance and, again, probably didn't live up to, I think, your expectations and certainly the market expectations as well. I know it started favourite or close to it in those two previous starts. My should have sacked it, uh, and it's probably a little bit controversial, and I'm interested to hear a little bit about your thoughts on this horse, was in race six at Flemington with Masaf. Um, Chapada ended up winning that race. Um, look, Masaf didn't get out in time and, and did run on really well, but the reason that I'm putting it in my should have sacked it file is that it hadn't won since June 2018, so that's two years between wins, and I know it had been running in some pretty good form uh, race races over there in Europe. 
But at three dollars, uh, probably was a little bit short for a horse that hadn't won in two years. And I guess my punting lesson as well is, a, is around putting a little bit too much faith in tipsters like yourself, Big V, because it's one of the races that I mentioned previously where I, I probably didn't do my due diligence in terms of the form and sort of backed it more on the momentum of, I guess, tipsters and others who, who thought this was a horse, the race for this horse. So I'm interested in your thoughts on it. I think it's one that I will keep an eye on, and if I get a decent price moving forward, I'm happy to, to back it. But just, just a bit disappointed with myself that I didn't give it a have a look first before I, I, I launched yesterday. Well, talking about the horses that haven't won for a while, I mean, when, when was the last time Chipata had won before? Saturday, I think that was October 2018. Looking at its record here, so I mean, I was—I thought you're being a bit harsh on Masaf there. I think there was some circumstances around around the performance. I mean, he was—he settled third behind the leader, Nashville Sound, and then Nashville Sound has just put the brakes on, and then all of a sudden he's third in the run. Nashville Sounds just decided to, you know put the brakes on and all the runners around him have moved have kicked up forward because they've just gone so slow and he's been shuffled back in the run and he's all of a sudden, you know, eighth on the rail with all these horses around him and and um, jockey the Nashville Sounds jockey Declan Bates was reprimanded by the stewards for the for slowing the tempo. So well, I think a lot of circumstances around it. And that's and also with tipping, I mean if you I mean, I was looking at Chapada, and I thought his run the start before was pretty good as well. He's knocking on, he was knocking on the door, but you know, just had the same thinking as you did. He hadn't won for a long time, bit of a non-winner. I thought I couldn't put Chapada on top, and that's why I went with Massat. Yeah, I guess it did sort of stand out in that race. I don't think Chapada and Massat were on their own in terms of horses that hadn't won in a while in that particular race either. But for me, that said. And my punting lesson for me anyway is that I should have just had a watch. There was no value really in the race. I think Chapada even started sort of $4, $55, which, as you say, for a horse that also hasn't won in a couple of years, probably that wasn't a great bet either. So sometimes it's uh, you can make money by staying out of races. And I think that was probably the lesson I learned from that one. Um, so one of the horses I wanted to speak to you about and one of the races was uh, the second at Flemington. Um, so there was a horse, Zesty Bell, which was just about the spruik horse of the day at Flemington. I know Prezado was quite well supported and, and the previously mentioned Massaf. And the spruiking had come off at a really impressive couple trials, actually. It, it had trialled twice and the second of those trials, I think, had won reasonably hard held by about seven lengths. And I I guess my point is it's just proved how hard it is to gauge trial form and how that mean how that means a horse will perform on the day. So it ran a nice third zesty bell. But basically people were tipping it like it was black caviar in terms of, you know, saying it was going to win and, you know, off the back of not much really. So I'm just interested in your thoughts on that big V. I mean it, it looked like on trial form, it was going to win the race by six lengths, but then doesn't quite get the job done. Well, trial form is so much different to race day form, and and I, I don't really trust trial form too much, and particularly in Victoria, where where they have unofficial jump outs, and you, you can't assess what opposition they're running against. It just be too time consuming. It's not like with the Sydney trials, and you can go on Racing Australia website or Racing New South Wales and 
click on the opposition just to see how how good they are because they you know, they might be trialling against donkeys and and it doesn't really give you an accurate guide. So I mean, I prefer to see I prefer to see him race before I'm going to have a bet on it. I mean, if you're going to if you're tipping, then you might have to just go by what your eyes seeing. But if you've got to put in investment, unless you know something, it's probably probably best to go by their form you know previously in in previous campaigns but when it's two-year-olds or lightly race three-year-olds it's it's harder to do but i prefer to just see them how they race to begin with yeah and it was a very lightly race i think it was only at the second start and i guess further to your point it's not just about who they're racing but it's also what part of the prep they're in some of those horses might be in their first trial and they might be looking for 2400 meters so they're not going to be scorching around the track at a in an 800 meter trial when you've got a horse like zesty bell which was you first up over you know 1100 meters and in its second trial and really obviously was really close to to lift off so it's not just about the horses in the in the field but also where they are in their prep and and what their campaigns are going to look like as well so i just i just thought it was another example of where trial form isn't a right, great guide in terms of uh, what, what happens on race day. Yeah, and I think on to look at the other side, I mean, there's a horse, uh, for example, Celestial Falls, who's been running... He ran during the, the Spring Carnival last year, had a couple of trials a couple of weeks ago, and I had a look at them, and they, were, they weren't really flash. And then he's, that horse has come out and has run two pretty good seconds ran second to Soldier of Love, who since won again, and then went up to Brisbane and got run down by Barna Girl, who looks like a star. So sometimes, you know, it's hard to assess. I mean, you don't know how fit they are going into the trials to begin with. Yeah. And then some horses control poorly, but then they come out and they, they race well. So, you know, you just got to go by the, the race form. Look, the second thing I wanted to talk about today was around horses that drift and firm in the bedding, and I wanted to get your view on this. So on, on Friday afternoon, I sort of narrowed down my three best bets of the day, two of which uh, made it onto our Twitter handle, that should have backed it, and, and did salute. So Prasado in the first at Flemington, classic legend. It was coming back for a run there in race seven at, in, at Randwick, and Opacity, which... Um, ran and won the last at Randwick. So three bets that ended up saluting. But my my, my uh, challenge was on Friday Arvo, trying to work out whether I should back them then or wait till race day. And Prasado at the time was $2.50. Classique Legend was two sixty, and Opacity was three forty. So I, I ended up backing Prasado at two fifty. I thought it would shorten, and it did. Ended up starting at $2.10 SP. Uh, Classique Legend... Came from 260 and it ended up, I think you get 350 with some bookmakers it, just before it, it raced. And Opacity went from 340 and it, I think it started around 420. So with Classic Legend, I actually did get on at the unders at 260, but Opacity, I waited. I thought it might drift. But I guess my question to you, Big V, is how do we determine whether these horses are going to drift or or, or firm? Because I, I got it right with Prasado, I got it wrong with Classic Legend and probably marginally got it right with opacity. Yeah, well, if we all knew that answer, we'd be winning a lot more money when we when we do get on the winners. It's, I mean, sometimes it's just you just got to make a judgment and what you think is going to get backed in. I mean, I remember 
last year backing Mystic Journey in the Australian Guineas. And I just looked at the form and I just thought, how are they going to beat this horse? You know, some of the the geldings and the colts, they just weren't up to that rating she was producing. And and I think she was 360, 380, and she went out to 460 on the day. And I just couldn't believe it. And you just, you just don't know. I mean, it's just... Sometimes it's just judgment, and sometimes you're you're right. Other times you're not. I suppose with classic legend, because the Randwick track was a lot heavier than what the official rating rating was. I think a lot of people decided to jump on Jungle Edge, who who was a mud mudlark, and I think that's why um, the price eased out for classic legend with that market percentage coming onto Jungle Edge. Yeah, I couldn't understand that, though. So, I mean, it met Classique Legend at level weights, and we're talking about a horse that's going to be a genuine contender in the Everest this year, or likely to be, against a very high-quality horse and one that does like the wet. But I was sort of of the view that, you know, Classique Legend and Opacity, before on Friday night, before we knew the track was going to play uh, the way it did at Randwick, you, wouldn't, you would have scoffed at their barriers. I think they were both drawn the widest barriers that they could have been. But on the day, once you saw how the track was playing, you didn't want to be anywhere else on the fi- in the track, did you? I mean, they both were drawn perfectly. So I couldn't believe that they both uh, actually drifted on the day. It was, I mean, a great result from a punting perspective, but it didn't make much sense um, in terms of some of the, the betting that was going on. Yeah, I don't think it drifted because of the barrier, because I think by then, being out wide is where you want it to be. I just think it's come down to... Um, Jungle Edge has come in, has firm from six dollars to four twenty, and then that's why Classic Legend's gone out about two eighty to three forty. But I get your point on the the class, but I just think those who might have backed Classic Legend may have had a saver on Jungle Edge because of that wet track form. And I think in, in your case, you just got a, a bit unlucky. You're on the right horse, and sometimes there's betting moves, and you just can't understand why certain horses. Affirming and and that just changes the, the the dynamic of the market. Yeah, and like to be honest, I marked Classic Legend. I, I thought it would start two twenty, two thirty. I thought two sixty was a steal. So, I guess in that respect, I still got overs of what I thought it should have been. But yeah, I was a little bit disappointed that I couldn't get it on even at a better price there. But I guess uh, yeah, that's a good result regardless. Now, mate, we've got a listener question. I mentioned the last couple of episodes that we've had a, quite a number of listener questions coming in, and I know it goes to something close to your heart, so I thought I'd raise it today because it might be a nice little segue into your rant because I know you've got some, uh, some poignant views on these particular issues. But the questions come in from Stuart from Sunny Pearsdale um, down there in the southeast of Melbourne, and he's asked us to answer this question. Can you please explain the difference between the numbers used for track ratings, i.e., should I be playing a soft five compared to a soft seven differently? Like, what's the difference between a soft five and a soft seven? So, Big V, are you able to help our mate Stuart out with that uh, question? Uh, yes, I can. Before I get to Stuart's query, I'll, I'll get into my my rant, and, it's, and it was going to be about the track ratings, and... And I'm getting a bit sceptical whether we're getting accurate track ratings now because there's a few, a few examples the last couple of weeks. And we mentioned Randwick. The official rating was a soft seven. And after the first two races, jockeys were saying it's a heavy track and, and the evidence was there. You know, by 
you know, by the middle of the day, they're coming out 20 wide on the track. And then by races eight and nine, they're on the outside rail. So that track wasn't a soft seven to begin with. And I know Randwick's had a few issues with its drainage, but punters are, are punting based on the track ratings. So, and it's also you know, the type of horses you're going to be betting on. You want accuracy. You know, soft, a soft-rated track is a lot different to a heavy-rated track and the horses you're going to be betting. Eagle Farm, it was put up a good four, and the times they were running were more good three, fast two. I mean, on that sort of side of things, I would rather bet on good three fast two tracks because you get a, a better assessment of the form. I think the form is more truer in the results. But then last week at Doombin, the, the track rating on the Wednesday was a soft five and come Saturday morning, it was still a soft five. I mean, so for three full days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it was still a soft five. There was no rain. 23-degree weather. I mean, how can the track rating not improve over three days of sunshine? And it was put down to the morning dew, but, I mean, I don't I don't buy that. So I think for punters, you know, track ratings, the accuracy of track ratings is so vital because, you know, we're investing our money based on these track ratings and the horses we want to, we want to back. So with the soft five comment, though, uh, it's my understanding that the uh, racing officials are looking for a track to start at a soft five, and it might improve during the day based on what the weather conditions are. But ideally, and I like when I see soft five, that's kind of the the track that I like to bet on. I think it's the fairest track and and probably uh, the best uh, surface the horses can ask for a bit of cut out of the ground. So it's interesting that you you're not a fan of of horses starting on the soft fives. No, well I disagree with you on that point. I think fair, fair tracks are good threes because you can do the form a lot easier. The good horses handle it. When you get to soft fives, you get you get track bias. It comes it, sometimes it comes down to a lottery, and I, I think that's why trainers want giving the ground because they've got horses that can't win or shouldn't be winning and they want the lottery of the track conditions. You know, if their horse gets on the right lane, it, that improves their chances of winning. Whereas if you've got good three tracks, the talented horses tend to win most of the time. And if you watch Eagle Farm on Saturday, you could run those races again and you're pretty much going to get the same winners. You know, regard, you know be determined on, on the tempo of the race, not the track conditions. But I'll, I'd say the trainers are also interested in the, the health and sort of well-being of their horses. And, uh, you know, a hard track or a good track that might be going towards foot firm isn't as good. You know, you're not going to be able to race a horse on that surface over a number of times because they're going to pull up sore uh, racing on that well, surface. Are, well, these are elite athletes. So they're, they're elite horses. They're not – it's like uh, AFL footballers. I mean, I, I, I can go for a jog – on the oval here, but I'm not an, an elite athlete. It's not going to hurt my body and joints. AFL footballers, that's why, the, that's why they do rehab the next day and go to the beach and ice themselves because they put their, they, their bodies can go to such an extreme level of performance that we can't. Same with racehorses. They're elite athletes and they're putting their, their bodies to the max. And that's why the trainers take them to the beach the next day 
and you know for rehab. And I think if trainers prefer the, the wet tracks, why do we get so many scratchings when it's wet? You know, heavy tracks are more dangerous for horses because they slip and that causes more injuries. Yeah, look, and I guess that actually is a nice segue into Stuart's question there. So I, yes, I think, let's get to his question. Yeah, I think a soft five is very different from a soft seven. So maybe you can explain how that's measured and, and what those differences are. Well, I don't like the soft five rate. That used to be the, the dead rating and they got rid of it to make it a lot more easier for punters to understand. So a soft five is... Soft five could be borderline good four. You know, it could be an improving soft five and it's nearly a good track. And then whereas a soft seven, the next track rating down is a heavy eight. So a soft seven is really wet and it could be a soft seven bordering on that heavy eight track rating. So if you've got a a horse running on a soft five, on on an improving soft five and they win, that goes into the form as a soft track win. But then if it runs on a soft seven, it might not handle it. So I don't like that soft five rating. I look at the soft five and I treat it as the old dead rating that it could be an improving track rating to a good four. So I'm not against having a bet on a soft five because it could be an improving soft five. Soft seven for me, I'm starting to think about looking at wet track form. But then when you look at the wet track form for soft, as I mentioned, it, gets, it could be inaccurate now because the horses could be winning on soft five. you just got to delve a little bit deeper into the form now. Yeah, and how they do measure, measure that, for people who don't know, is through a penetrometer reading. So they, they do put a device into the ground. It comes back with a reading, and that's how they rate what, where that track sits on that spectrum of, of 1 to 10. And really, it's just information for punters at the end of the day. If you can see on what conditions horses have, you know, performed well in. And, you know, we heard, saw Jungle Edge yesterday as an example that, you know, once it gets onto a heavy eight and, and, and worse, really is a, a mudlark, that horse, and has an incredible record in those conditions. So I guess it's a, a guide for punters, those actual numbers. So as you said, a, a soft five can, can be a, a close to a good four, a good track conditions, whereas a soft seven, as you say, could almost be a, a heavy track. So you've just got to keep your eye out. Um, there, I mean, I've, I've heard people say that why even have the numbers? Why not just have good, soft, heavy, you know, firm tracks and, and uh, stick with that? But I do, I do think it is a good way of showing punters um, where the track actually sits and, and can also show deterioration or improvement throughout the day. So as you said, tracks can change. So having that numbering system just gives you a little bit of a guide on that. Uh, I guess it's also a bit challenging because not all parts of the track will play the same. Obviously, they put the penetrometer in where they put it in, but it could be, as we saw yesterday at Randwick, where the much better part of the track is on the outside and basically you're, you're probably dealing with very different track conditions from the inside of the course to the outside of the course as well. So I guess it's worth just keeping an eye where jockeys do go in running and, and, and using that as a guide when you are punting as well. And I guess that's where you get the unpredictability of wet tracks. We saw that at, at Randwick. Uh, anyway, just moving on to the, the final part of the podcast, was there any other talking points from the weekend? I, I thought at Eagle Farm in the last race, Aquitaine looked a, a really good bet with that Fatuzzi form and I got the email from the TAB when they put up the opening prices and they put up $4 and 
didn't last very long because as soon as I got that email and, and looked online, it was already into 340 and I managed to just sneak in a, a bet at 320 and it's started at $2.50, to $2.60 and always looked the winner. Oh, look, a very impressive win and I guess high expectation that it would, would do that. So good to see it go. Would I guess it's a nice segue into our horses to follow, obviously one that you'll be keeping an eye on moving forward. Well, I'm going to go with one of the horses that you've potted earlier in the podcast. I reckon Mustaf might be the one to follow. I just think he had a, a lot of bad luck. And I'm going to keep an eye out for him next. And the other one I wanted to touch on was Madame Rouge from the Stradbroke that you know nearly caused a boil over. I mean, that one on Magic Millions Day when I was on... Um, champagne cuddles when she broke down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Madame Rouge won that race and she was pretty impressive. And I wanted to see where she went to next, but she was put away for a bit. And I thought Chris Waller put her into the deep end a bit during the autumn. And she ran first up in the Galaxy where she finished ninth, beaten four lengths. Then she ran in the Sapphire where she ran seventh of 16, beaten four and a half lengths. And then she went to the same star where she ran 11th out of 16, beaten four lengths. But I noticed that those tracks were all on soft five, heavy eight, and a soft seven. And yesterday she's performed to her best since that Magic Millions Day on a good track. So maybe she's just a, a good tracker. And I'd maybe see where she goes. She'll probably have a break, but maybe in the early spring, see what races Chris Waller puts her in. And a good example based off our last conversation there as well, Big V, on the on the tracks and how you can look at that form and determine how horses may or may not uh, perform based on the track conditions. And it's interesting, one of my runs from the bush horses, Young Liam, which um, collected a nice win at Donald on Friday. He'd had run previously a disappointing fourth in its last start, and that was on heavy conditions. But as soon as it got back on the uh, good surface of Donald, it was able to, to back up with another convincing win. So definitely one to have a look at when you are betting on horses, the uh, track conditions. Uh, but my horse to follow was the impressive winner of the last at Belmont yesterday. Uh, a classic pikey win in the last at, in Perth was um, Western Pride, which was actually in its first run in around a year. Um, I understand it might have had some problems. I'm sorry I don't have the, the full details on that. But uh, it actually won its fourth race from four. And, look, I think it's one to keep an eye on moving forward. I think it started about $2.80 and really did dominate the field and, and drew away really convincingly. So I think that was an impressive win. I think it'll probably stay in Perth for the obviously foreseeable future, but we could see it even coming across to uh, to Victoria and New South Wales, I think. I think it's uh, got a bit of quality behind it, that one. Yeah, it was a good day for Pike as well. He, he didn't just win the last race. He also won the second last race, and... Some good performances yesterday. I thought um, in uh, Belmont, KC ran well. That was the Kingston Town winner. And I just wonder whether that might be a type of horse that might be suited to the, the Golden Eagle mm. later this year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think they've got a couple of good horses over there. And um, hopefully when the borders open up and, and things become a bit easier, we can uh, see a little bit more more movement around the country. Look, that's uh, all we've got time for today on the Should Have Backed It podcast. Thanks, Chris. It was uh, good to catch up with you. It's been a, a couple of weeks since we've, we've done a podcast. So 
you know, you've been keeping the uh, Twitter handle moving along. If you, if you did follow us on the weekend, you would have uh, picked up four winners out of our five selections. So please do jump on there on a Saturday morning and, and see who we're on because it's been going pretty well of late. Yeah, we've been doing quite well the last couple of weeks, which is we've had a few near misses beforehand, a lot of seconds, but it's good to get a few winners. It's amazing what big, how much of a difference it makes backing winners instead of seconds. I can tell you that uh, it doesn't hurt the hip pocket. And I tell you what, mate, uh, we're doing some of our most uh, our best work in Sydney at the moment, which is not something I'm used to, but. Uh, I think Randwick's playing really well. I know it did have the uh, the track buyers yesterday, but I think you're getting some um, really good value up there and some, some good bets. So, yeah, please keep looking at that. And, mate, look after yourself, and we'll be back bigger and better than ever later on when the spring hits. Not too far away already. I mean, yeah, it's only a few months. Yeah, it's uh, probably, you know, looking at August before we can um, the Group 1 start again, the... Uh, the Stradbroke being the last one of this season. But, yeah, not too far away from um, a, a big spring, I think, with uh, hopefully crowds back at the races. And uh, to everyone else, uh, stay safe and thanks for listening to this special edition of the Shoulda Backed It podcast. And as always, good luck on the punt.